So it is, uh, it is a privilege to be able to be here today and to be able to share God's word. But it is also such a great privilege to see Miss Eloise here with us today. Really did my heart so good when she rounded the corner right there during worship. So good to see you, Miss Eloise. God bless you. Glory to God. Amen. Amen. Well, we are continuing our series in, uh, in, through the book of 1 Peter. And so we are in week six of the Exiled and Hope series. And so we're going to, I'm going to preach a message this morning called Sober-Minded and Not Conformed. Sober-Minded and Not Conformed. So would you, would you pray with me here this morning? God, we come before you and we do count it a privilege to be able to gather together as brothers and sisters in Christ to come and, and worship you, to worship you as the one true God, the God of creation, the God of salvation. And God, we just thank you for that privilege. And Lord, what a privilege it is that you have spoken to us through your word. God, your word is holy. Your word is true and it is inerrant and it is infallible. And God, we receive it as such here today. And God, I pray that you would open our hearts to be able to receive it and to apply it to our lives. God, I pray that you would help me to open my mouth to preach your word and to exalt Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we looked at last week, we looked at the state of our nation, and and I felt like that before we got into this section in 1 Peter about not being conformed to the world and living a sober-minded life, I wanted us to understand what is the world in which we live in let's think about it. Let's look at the reality of the world in which we live in to where as we get back into First Peter here this morning, we can understand what it is that we're not to be conformed to. And I don't think it's lost on any of us, the state of our nation. I think when you look around at the state of our nation, and, and I want to encourage you, if you didn't get a chance to listen to last week's message, it is on, uh, on our website. You, you can go to our, our website and follow the links to our YouTube channel, um, or you can find our Living Word Church app on the app on your, whichever, um, I forget what you call it, your app, um, app store, app store, that's the word. I encourage you to go back and listen to the message from last week. That'll give you some context for this message. But it's not lost on any of us as we look around in our world to see the state of our nation and how our nation progressively over the last several decades and even longer has gone in a direction, continually in a direction away from biblical realities and biblical truths. You would have to really not be paying attention to not see it. You'd have to have your head in the sand to not see it. But the temptation for us is to put our head in the sand as Christians. That's the temptation. When we look around in our world today, we see the, the political leaders that are in office, and we see the state of our nation. The temptation is to go to try to find a bunker somewhere and stock up on stuff and just ride this thing out until Christ comes back or he takes us home. That's the temptation, but that's not what we're called to do. We're called to be in the world, but not of the world. We're called to not be of the world, but we're called to be in the world. This is where God has called us. This is, this is our calling. When Jesus prayed his high priestly prayer in John 17, he prayed not only for the, for the disciples that were present with him when he walked the earth, but he prayed specifically in John 17 for those who would believe in his name because of the first disciples' ministry. He said, I'm praying for all of those who will believe in in my name. 
So he's praying for us in John 17, and he prayed to the Father, and he's saying, Father, I'm not asking that you would take them out of the world. Because that would be an obvious reality whenever persecution would come into the early church and, 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 and the early church would, was facing what they were facing. But, but Jesus prayed and said, Lord, I don't want you to take them out of the world, Father, but I would pray that you would keep them from the evil one. And that is the context of this message in First Peter, that we will be kept from the evil one. Yes, we live in perilous times. Yes, we live in times where we look around and it can be discouraging to see a nation that has abandoned God and his word and biblical truths. And it can be discouraging as a Christian and as a church. But we cannot give up hope. We cannot give up the faith that we have in Christ, that he's placed us here. He's called us during this time. But in the midst of all of that, in the midst of all of those realities, we also have to be alert. We also have to be sober-minded. We also have to think clearly because we cannot become conformed into the world that we're called to be different then. Because it's so easy to be conformed to the world, so easy to listen to the messages of our society and in the world and to just kind of go along with the flow. But Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 1 here, he's going to give us some help about how can we not be conformed to the direction this nation is heading, to the direction that it is in? How can we live as salt and light in the middle of a society that has thrown off restraint? How can we do that? Let's look at the help that Peter gives us in First Peter. It's a lengthy section here, verses 13 through 21, that we're going to unpack these verses here. Peter says there, says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action." And being sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. Who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope and hope are in God. Amen. This is God's word. So the question we want to ask this morning is how are we going to live holy, set apart lives in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation? How are we as Christians going to live holy? And that's what it means to live holy lives. To be holy means that we are set apart How are we going to do that in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation? And Peter tells us some very specific things that will help us to live holy, set-apart lives. Do you want to live holy lives? The text clearly says that we are to be holy. Why? Because God is holy. Because he is holy. So how are we going to live holy lives in the midst of this present world? Well, the first thing we see in the text is that that we don't, we should not forget, don't forget the hope of God. You have. This is one of the ways in which we will live holy lives in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Don't forget the hope you have. Look at the text, verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober minded, in the middle of that first verse, he says, Set your hope 
fully. Set your hope fully on what? On the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So the key to not being conformed to the world, the key to not just blending into the culture is that we got to have our hope right. We got to place our hope in the right place. Set your hope fully. When he says there fully, what he's meaning there is completely and perfectly. He's saying this is the picture of throwing all of our hope onto Christ. All of our hope fully. All of my hope. All of my hope. I'm throwing it fully over onto Christ. Do you believe that today? This is how we cannot forget the hope that we have in Christ. Peter is reminding beleaguered and persecuted believers that they have a hope that is beyond their temporary reality. And that's the temptation we all face in our life as Christians. Is that we can begin, if we're not careful, get sucked into the thinking of the world where we place all of our hope here and now. On the better job, on more finances, on more stuff, on a better relationship. And it's like we can, we can live in this bubble. Listen, we can live in this bubble that becomes our reality of temporary things. And Peter, in his, and through God's word, Peter is reminding us that you got to live beyond the bubble. You gotta live beyond the bubble of this earthly reality that as Christians, we don't just believe that here and now is our final destination. We believe that there, there is something beautiful God is preparing for us in eternity that, that, that far outweighs anything of pleasure in this earth. It far outweighs any relationship, any possession, any accomplishment, anything that we could ever accomplish and experience in this earth, we have a hope for eternity that far exceeds that. Is that your hope here today? We are tempted to place our hope in earth-bound realities. I love what Warren Wiersbe, theologian, in his commentary in 1 Peter, he says this, Christians live in the future tense. Christians live in the future tense. Their present actions and decisions are governed by this future hope. Isn't that good? Christians live in the future tense. My life is about what God is doing in my life, in eternity, in the future. And when I have my hope set correctly, then it impacts the way I live every single day. Do you guys follow me? You have to get your hope right. Don't forget the hope that we have. Don't forget the hope that you have. We must not fall into the trap of believing that earthly pursuits or pleasures can satisfy the longings of our hearts. There's something there's there's something that this world will always be missing and it is the ability to satisfy the deepest longings of our heart. Look, and I know I I, I have a beautiful wife and and a committed wife and beautiful children and I have a wonderful job. I get to preach God's word to you week after week. I have so many great, wonderful things in my life, but there's nothing that this life can bring me that will ultimately satisfy more than the hope I have in Christ. We cannot forget the hope we have. If we get that misplaced, that's whenever we start making decisions. When our hope is earthbound, hear me, when our hope is earthbound and I'm looking for fulfillment and hope in this life, that's when I start making decisions that lead me to compromise in my life because my hope is mixed up. I remember, I remember Tiger Woods, he won the Masters Golf Tournament in 2019. Anybody watch that? Probably one of the greatest comebacks in, in sports history. I mean, he was at the lowest of the low. And no matter what you think about Tiger Woods and his character and his lifestyle, just from an athletic achievement, 
to see what he did. I, and I'm really not a Tiger Woods fan. I really don't root for him. But, there was, but I rooted for him that day to win his 15th major. Because it was one of the greatest comebacks of all time in sports history. To so watch him win another major tournament. And so the next day, I was on a Sunday. The next day, I'm bringing Joel to school, bringing the kids to school. And I had the radio on. The radio was on. And a sports commentator was on there talking about Tiger Woods and his victory. And he said something like this. He said, this is what happened when Tiger Woods won the Masters Tournament. It brought healing and hope into the world. And Joel's in the passenger seat. And I look over at him. And we both kind of raise our eyebrows. Healing and hope. I was thinking, wow, that's pretty powerful. I mean, I was eating my popcorn and drinking my Dr. Pepper while I was watching. And I didn't get healed or had any more hope. I was excited for Tiger Woods. But it was interesting that the commentator used the word healing and hope. Because if this is all we have, then absolutely, it brings healing and hope for people in this life. If this is our only reality, then Tiger Woods is all you got. I wrote an article about that. That spurred my thoughts. I wrote an article and it was in the Courier. I I want to read an excerpt from the article that I wrote. I believe as human beings, we all have the tendency to look for inner healing in all the wrong things. And we often misplace our hope. Temporary things will never bring ultimate healing for our souls. And temporary things will never give us lasting hope. The truth is, as amazing as Tiger's comeback was, there were immediate expectations about what he will do next. Will he win the next major? Will he beat all the records? As quickly as his victory created excitement and praise from the fans, we moved on to what will Tiger do next? Nothing in this life lasts forever. Everything in this earthly experience will fade away. The green jacket, which is the trophy that you win to win the Masters, the green jacket will collect dust somewhere until it is forgotten. The $2 million that Tiger won for his victory will be gone one day. The trophy and the cash cannot be taken with him to the grave. This is the reality that if our hope is earthbound, then all we have is a green jacket and $2 million and a trophy and accomplishments and the praise of men, but it is only temporary. But if our hope is set in on those things and it impacts the way in which we live our life, it's kind of like, it's kind of like a married couple. A future hope impacts, future hope impacts the decisions you make every day. Where you place your hope impacts the decisions you make. It's like a couple before they're married. That married couple gets engaged. And they're making plans for, for what? A future date. And all that they're doing in their life right now is because of something that's going to happen in the future. Where they're placing their hope. They're placing their hope on that day that the bride's going to walk down that aisle. And he's going to have that beautiful moment where they can embrace and they can get married, exchange vows and kiss. And, and, and their, 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 hope, their hope is in something that's coming in the future. And as a result of that, every decision that they make leading up to that date is impacted. Wherever you place your hope will impact the way in which we live. Peter's telling us in this text, set our hope, throw all of our hope fully and completely onto Christ. In the future, he secured for us. Look at Romans 8 says. Not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For, for in this, 
hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen, a green jacket, a nice checking account, a hope that is seen, a great relationship, a hope that is seen, the perfect job, a hope that is seen, everything I've ever wanted in this life, a hope that is seen is not hope. It's not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. How are we going to live a a holy and set-apart life in this present world? This present world that is thrown off restraints. How are we going to live holy, set-apart lives? We've got to get our hope right. We've got to place our hope in heavenly realities, in heavenly truths. We can't place our hope in the things that the world places their hope in. And because they place their hope in temporary things, their priorities change. And they're willing to do anything to get what they set their hope in. Wherever we place our hope will impact what we pursue and how we live. Eternal hope produces eternal priorities here on earth. So how are we going to live holy lives? Don't forget the hope we have, an eternal hope, a hope that's not based upon temporal realities, a hope in Christ that motivates us to reject the lies of a culture that is fixated on temporary things. The next thing that Peter gives us as far as help is this. Don't be led by your feelings or shaped by worldly thinking. Don't misplace your hope. And secondly, don't be led by your feelings or shaped by worldly thinking. Let's look back at the text. He says, therefore, because you have this hope, because we're exiles in the middle of a world that has gone mad, that has thrown off restraint, that, that, doesn't, that doesn't submit to biblical realities, therefore, because of what Christ has done, prepare your minds for action and be sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passion of your former ignorance. But because God is holy, he's holy, we should be holy. So there's really some important things here. We should not be led by our feelings. Don't be led by our feelings. You're shaped by worldly thinking. Peter uses the phrase, this phrase of preparing your mind for action. He used a phrase that would have been understood from a fighting perspective or from an athletic perspective. So even soldiers during that day would have long garments. And the athletes would have garments that would have been loose. And so when you go into an athletic event, they weren't like football players nowadays that wear tights and you can see everything that they have, right, when they're wearing these tights. They had garments that were long. And so in battle or in athletics, this idea is that you'd have to tie up all the loose ends because if you go into battle, if you go into battle and you have these loose ends, what, what, can, what can the enemy do? He can get a hold of you. Prepare your minds for action. Peter's talking about the minds. How are we going to live a holy, set-apart life in the middle of a perverse generation? You've got to pull in the loose ends of your mind. You've got to pull in the loose ends of your thinking. You have to think clearly in the middle of this world. You have to have the right kind of thoughts. You have to have your thoughts Influenced by the truth of God's word. It's, it's putting on your belt, the belt of your mind. Gird up the loose ends. Put on a belt. Prepare your minds for action. Why? Because it's a battle that we're in. It's a battle of ideas. It's a battle of realities. Thinking. We need our thinking to be submitted to the authority of scripture. Faith versus feeling. Biblical truth versus feeling. So many Christians want to live by their feelings. I feel this way. So this is what I'm going to do. 
I, I don't feel this way, so I'm not going to do this. The temptation is to be led by our feelings. We need more Christians who are thinkers. You aren't led by your feelings. Your feelings will betray you. You ever wake up one day and not have loving feelings for your family? Seriously. This is church. We don't have to lie. You ever wake up one day and not have loving feelings for your family? What keeps you from walking out? Truth keeps you from walking out. The Spirit of God that lives on the inside of you that, that takes the Word of God and presses it into your heart and reminds you, wait a minute, you're not that great either. <laughs> and maybe your family didn't have loving feelings when they woke up too. You, your feelings will betray you. We need more Christians who think through the filter of God's Word and aren't led by their feelings. So many Christians are led astray into so many false beliefs because they're led by their feelings. We take our feelings into God's word. We think, well, I know it says this, but to me, I feel this is what it says. We can't be led by our feelings. Our feelings will betray us. Faith versus feelings or or biblical truth versus feelings. We need to be prepared for action. Pull in the loose ends of our minds. We have to be clear thinkers as believers in this world. I'm telling you, if you're not a clear biblical thinker, You're going to be swept away by the chaos of ideas that are in our world today. You remember, do you remember the time when if you wanted to communicate to somebody, you got an an envelope, this little thing, it's an envelope, and you you took a, a piece of loose leaf paper and you wrote something down, dear so and so, and you wrote it and you signed regards, best regards or something and you signed your name and you folded that paper, you put it in the envelope, you got a stamp, maybe it was worth 15 cents back then and you put the stamp, 10 cents, whatever, put the stamp on there, you go to your mailbox or you go to the post office, you put it in there. Do you remember those days? Now certainly you could have gotten on the phone, but why wouldn't you get on the phone to mail a letter to somebody in another country or another state? Why wouldn't you get on the phone? Long distance. Ten cents is much cheaper than call and collect or f- charging the long distance charge. I remember when Estelle and I were dating. Uh, this is before the smartphone. When we were dating, we literally communicated in between times of work, like when we were working or she was at school or whatever, we would communicate through email. And then when we got home that night, we would get on the landline and make a phone call. Email! And all you people that are under the age of 30, 35 maybe, you're thinking, uh, email? <laughs> Do you use email still today? And, and when you were dating and you were engaged, you, you, you texted. You, know, you were on your smartphone. But now, think about, think about the amount of communication now. I have the iPhone, and this blows my mind every time I think about it. The iPhone was not available till 2007. That's it. 13 years, 14 years, 2007. It feels like it's been around forever, doesn't it? I had to make Estelle get a smartphone. She didn't want to get a smartphone. I said, no, you're going to get a smartphone. You're going to get a phone, a cell phone. She didn't have a cell phone. But think about how fast communication has increased. How quickly, instantly we get information that's poured into our brain from every avenue. I mean, there's so many, it's not just the internet. 
It's not just the smartphone. It's not just television. It's not just movies. It's social media. You can know something about somebody that you want to know about that you haven't seen in a long time in an instant if they're on Facebook, Snapchat, TikTok, Instagram, whatever these lists are of these social media platforms. You can know about people. You can watch their lives. People can share with you what they're going to eat for breakfast, for lunch, and for dinner. They can share all the information that you don't really even care about, but you're going to get it. But they can also share things that are deadly, that are dangerous, that are perverted, that are contrary to Scripture. And we have instant access to all these things in our world today. So what does Peter say? Prepare your minds for what? For action. It's, it is a battle of ideas. In your consumption of information on a daily basis, you better pull in the loose ends of your thinking. You can't just take in things into your mind and not bring them through the filter of God's word. In every area, you have to take the information that you take into your minds, into our minds. We have to take it through the filter of God's word. Is this true or is it not? Preparing prepared for action, for battle against worldviews that seek to undermine the truth of God's word. Look at what 2 Corinthians says about this reality. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war against the flesh. For, our, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. And what are the strongholds that we must destroy? We destroy arguments. Not, a, not an argument like me and you are arguing about something. No, arguments. It's ideas. It's ideas. It's arguments. And what are these arguments? Every, they're every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. We destroy these arguments. And we take every thought captive to obey Christ. You want to know what spiritual warfare is? That is spiritual warfare. You are in spiritual warfare every day of your life. That is spiritual warfare. It's a war over your mind. The enemy wants to undermine biblical truth, as we talked about last week. Undermine biblical truth about marriage, about sexuality, about heaven, about hell, about whether Christianity is true. Can we trust God's word? So many different avenues that the enemy wants to undermine the truth of God's word. You are in a battle. That is spiritual warfare. People are looking for spiritual warfare with demons and all these things around. And I believe in demons. I believe in the devil. I believe in all those things. But they, sometimes people think too deeply about spiritual warfare. No, this is spiritual warfare in your mind. This is where the battle rages. It's a battle of ideas. 1 John 4, 1. Beloved, beloved believers, do not believe every spirit. But do what? Test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Test the spirits. Beloved, beloved, test the spirits. Your favorite Christian preacher? Is he a Christian? Your favorite preacher you listen to? Is he preaching truth? Is he preaching sound doctrine? Beloved, test the spirits. Prepare your minds for action. We cannot afford to live this life drunk and unaware with our senses dulled. This is what Peter says here. He says, he says prepare your mind for action and, and, and then be what? 
Sober-minded. And if you're sober-minded and you live with your senses dulled, you just take everything in, you take it all in, you're not bringing it to the filter of God's word, you're not testing it as we see in 1 John. And so, so then what happens? You will become conformed. We must live sober-minded. If we don't live sober-minded lives, thinking critically about the information we receive in this life, then we will become conformed to this world. This is the strategy of of the enemy. This is his plan in your life. If you're not aware of it, I'm helping you here today. It is the plan of the enemy in your life to get you just to blend into the world all around you, to abandon your faith. It's kind of like Play-Doh. You guys ever play with Play-Doh? Your kids play with Play-Doh? Eventually the Play-Doh gets all dried and cakey. Why? Because they don't put the caps back on. You guys ever seen that? Do, do kids ever put the caps back on the Play-Doh? Never, because then you go to open it, or you go to look at it, and it's all dried and cakey. But when it was soft and moldable, this is what it means to be conformed. It's like you take that bit of Play-Doh, and you get a form. You, you see, see a form, you get, and you press that Play-Doh into the form. And that Play-Doh becomes whatever it is pressed into, Right? So you can press it into the form and it will become a star. It will become a heart. It will become, it will become whatever image is, 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 that, is, that for, is, is that form. And you press it in it and it gets shaped into the form. And this is what it means to be conformed to the world. That if we allow ourselves to be pressed into the world, we will take the shape of the world in our thoughts, in our words, and in our actions. So what do we have to do? If we, if, if we are going to not be pressed into the world like Play-Doh and put into a form, what do we have to do? We have to press ourselves into the word of God. We have to press ourselves into godly relationships. We have to press ourselves into biblical truth so that it will shape us. You guys follow me? We will be pressed into something. What are we being pressed into? The world wants to force you into its mold of unbiblical realities, but we must press ourselves into the truth of God's word and allow it to shape our thinking and by effect our lives. What are you pressing into today? What are you pressing into today? What are you pushing your energy into, your thoughts into? Whatever you press into will shape your life. You will become made in that image. It will shape your life. How are we going to live holy, set-apart lives in the middle of a crooked, perverse generation? What does Peter tell us? What has he told us? Don't forget where true hope is found. Set your hope fully upon Christ. Don't be led by your feelings and shaped by worldly thinking. Stay alert. Stay alert today. Think deeply about what, what you listen to. Whatever you press into will shape your life. And lastly this morning, I've talked about don't. Don't, don't do this, don't do that. The third thing this morning is do. Do remember you've been ransomed by Christ. Do remember you've been ransomed by Christ. Look back at the text. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. How are we gonna live holy, set-apart lives in this world, we got to remember that we've been ransomed. we got to remember that we have been ransomed from the futile ways we've inherited from our forefathers. Notice Peter 
says we've been ransomed. What does that word ransom mean? It means we've been bought back. What were we bought back from? What were you, if you're a believer here today, what were you bought back from? Sin and death. Enslavement to sin. That's the picture of when, when, the, when, the, when the Bible uses the word ransom. It's the idea that we were slaves of sin. We were slaves of our sinful nature. We were slaves of sin and we only sought to fulfill our sinful desires. And we were headed for eternal damnation. Headed for an eternal hell separated from God. But God through the cross, has ransomed, has bought us back from slavery to sin because of our faith in Christ. Now we've been bought back and now we are no longer slaves to sin, but we are slaves of Christ. We, he is our Lord and he is our Savior. And if you're here today and you are still living enslaved to sin, you're still, you're still living in the slave market of sin and the enemy and his ways, you can be free today. You can be ransomed today. You can be bought back today. You can be forgiven You can be cleansed today. You can be out from under the judgment of God today by placing your faith in Christ. So if you've not placed your faith in Christ, the Bible says in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but would have eternal life. That by believing in him, that is how we are ransomed back from the enemy and from being a slave to sin. These futile ways that we inherited. This is the idea that we inherit a sinful nature. But we can be redeemed. We can be forgiven. Who who can testify to the fact that you've been redeemed and forgiven? You've been ransomed and bought back. You've been ransomed and bought back. Look at what Romans 6 says. For when you were slaves of what? Sin. You were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at the time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things, the end of what? The end of slavery to sin is, is, is death. Not just physical death because we all die because our bodies are subjected to the curse of sin. But the end of slavery to sin spiritually is spiritual death. Eternal separation from God. But now you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. You've become slaves of Christ. The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Isn't that beautiful? Peter contrasts. I love how he contrasts. He contrasts silver and gold. He says, he says, he says you, have been, you have been ransomed, not with silver or gold. And the world would look at silver and gold. I think gold right now is selling for $1,800 per ounce. Silver and gold would be pre- is, they're precious commodities. But what does he say we've been ransomed with? Not with silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. What is he saying when he says that? He's saying that this transaction is eternal. Whatever you buy with silver or gold, it's going to fade away. It's going to pass away. But for those of us who are in Christ, who've placed our faith in Christ, we've been ransomed by the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. And his precious blood is more precious than even silver or gold. And what he's saying is, is that this transaction is eternal. That when we are saved, it is eternal. Silver and gold, as precious and valuable as they are, they do not last forever. But the blood of Christ and his sacrifice on the cross produces an eternal impact. It produces an eternal impact. Jesus died for me. Do you believe that today? He took my place. We believe in substitution. 
He took my place. I deserved the death that he died. I love what Isaiah 53 says. Follow me. I'm, I'm wrapping this up. Listen. I love what Isaiah 53 says. It says it was the will of the Lord to crush Jesus. It was the will of the Lord to crush him on the cross. Because as the wrath of God was poured out on the innocent son of God, it was a wrath that I deserved. It was a wrath that belonged to me because of my sin. It was a wrath that belonged to me because of my rebellion. It was a wrath that belonged to me because of the sinful nature that I inherited from my forefathers. It was the wrath of God that was poured out on the innocent son of God. Whenever Jesus prayed in the garden of Gethsemane and he said, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. What was the cup that he said? If it's possible that it passed from me. It was the cup of the wrath of God. But what did Jesus say? Yet not my will, but your will be done. Jesus willingly submitted to the will of the Father to die on the cross for you. To take the the wrath of God for you. Sin must be paid for. God is both loving, but he's also a God of justice. He's both a God of justice and a God of love. Because of his justice, but also because of his love, Christ died on the cross and absorbed the wrath of God for sin on our behalf. 2 Corinthians 5 says that, that he who knew no sin became sin, took the penalty of sin, so that in him we might become what? The righteousness of God. We can become something that we're not. Guilty become innocent. Unrighteous become righteous. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is what the scripture is saying, that we were ransomed with the precious blood of Christ. This transaction is eternal. He died for me. He laid down his life to buy me back from sin's control. I used to be enslaved to sin's power, but now I'm free from sin's power. I don't have to say yes to sin. I, through the power of the Spirit, can say no to the flesh And can submit to the process of sanctification in my life. How does this reality impact my everyday life? This reality tells me that my life does not belong to me. How does this reality of the ransom and the price that Christ paid impact your everyday life? It tells you that because Jesus paid his blood for your life and he ransomed you. You don't belong to yourself. How does that impact your life? Leave today. Go about your life. Wake up tomorrow. I'm going to make this decision. Oh, wait a minute. My life's not my own. I'm going to buy this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to take part in that. I'm going to watch this. I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to get involved in this or that. Wait, wait. My life is not my own. I don't belong to myself. You know, you know I was watching this movie the other day. It's called Enola Holmes, Enola Holmes. And it's about, it's about the sister of Sherlock and Mycroft Holmes. It's an interesting movie. The end of the movie, Enola Holmes has a phrase that she says at the very end. She says this. She says, my life is my own and the future belongs to us. That's the idea of the world, right? My life is my own. 
I get to do what I want to do. It's, I'm the captain of my own ship. I'm the captain of my own destiny. And so if that is your view of the world and you don't see your life through the lens of the fact that as a believer, my life's been ransomed by Christ, then your life is your own. So then the future is up to us. So then I make my own decisions based upon what I want to do. And you know what happens? People will live at the expense of others as long as they get what they want because their life is their own. They get to do whatever they want to do. This is what we talked about last week. This reality tells me that my life is not my own. It's not just my choices. But what does the Bible say about that reality? 1 Corinthians 6 tells us, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Within you, whom you have from God. Listen, you are not your own. Enola Holmes and who, or, who, or whoever wrote the script for that movie, you, if you belong to Christ, you're not your own. And as believers, we are not our own. You are not your own. For you were bought with a price. So do what? So glorify God in your body. How will we live holy, set apart lives in this life? Yes, yes, prepare. Don't, don't, don't forget the hope you have. And don't live a, 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 a drunk life. Don't, don't be conformed to the world. Don't be led by your feelings. But do remember, you've been ransomed by Christ. Do remember, if you're a believer here, he paid for your life with his precious blood. And so if you remember you're not your own, then you, then you will do what? I will glorify God with my body. We, we got a new picture frame in our living room. Estelle put the Carruthers family in that picture frame. It's the picture uh, of them, their, their missionary ministry picture of all their family in front of an airplane. And it's, it's on our little stand, our little lamp stand in our living room so we can look at it every day and think about the Carruthers and pray for them. How does the Carruthers, how do the Carruthers take all their family and jump on the airplane and go to Honduras, go across the world? How, how do they do that? Because their life is not their own. And so what, is, what, what do they do? They glorify God with their body. They glorify God with their body. This is how we do it. In the middle of a crooked and perverse generation, we have the perspective that God, you have ransomed me with your precious blood. So why would I want to live in a way that is offensive to you? Why would I want to look at something that is offensive to you? Why would I want to listen to something that is offensive to you? Why do I want to pursue something in my life that will take me away from your truth, away from your reality, away from your goodness? Why would I ever want to do that? God, I want to glorify you in my body because I belong to you. Amen? Because I belong to you. How are we going to live holy, set apart lives in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation? We have to see Christ as the greatest reality. We have to see Christ as the greatest reality. We have to see Christ as the greatest truth. Everything in this world apart from biblical truth and and Christ-centered realities is going to be completely contrary to Christ. Everything. If Christ is not the center If Christ is not the center, then it is contrary to Christ. Everything in this world will push you away from Christ. So we must see Christ as the greatest reality. We must see him as the greatest truth. We must see Christ as the greatest pleasure and the greatest satisfaction. When compared to everything the world has to offer, there is no comparison. 
Jesus is better. He's not just better, he is his best. He's the best. He's the better, he's the best. So my question to you as we conclude today, what are you willing to settle for in this life? What are you willing to settle for? Are you willing to settle? Or are we willing to settle for a life that is second best? Are we willing to settle for a life that is not what God has called us to? Are we willing to settle for a life drinking deep of earthly hope? Are we willing to settle for a life deceived by worldly, satanic lies? What are we willing to settle for in this life? How do we live holy set-apart lives in the middle of a twisted and perverse generation? I've asked the question five times here today. Jesus gives the best answer. Matthew 13, verse 44. Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. That's how you do it. That's how we do it. Christ is the greatest treasure. And in our joy, we give all that we are for all that he is because of all that he's done. Would you pray with me? Thank you, Lord. God, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for this reality, God. We have looked at last week the state of our nation and we, we grieve over where our country is. But here we are in the middle of this world. And you've called us to live sober-minded and not be conformed. And God, I pray that as believers in Jesus Christ that we would pursue those realities. The realities of your goodness, the realities of your truth. That we would see you as the greatest truth, the greatest treasure. That there's nothing this life has to offer that can compare to the hope that we have in you. God, may that be what shapes our life. God, may we glorify you in our body because of the revelation that we don't belong to ourselves. We don't get to live however we want to live. We live now because we belong to Christ. We live now according to your will, according to your ways. So Lord, we all say today, would you say it with me? In your heart, would you say it with me? Your will be done. Your will be done in my life. Your will be done, Lord. What is it that you want from me? How can I glorify you in my body today and tomorrow and the next day and for the rest of my days? God, we submit to you. We surrender all we are to all that you are because of all that you've done. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.